Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, friends, for leading us today. Thank you all for joining us in this special service, a little different than our normal routine. But for those who are worship often at our other service at Mulberry, we thank you for joining us down here at TriPoint today. It's fun for the whole family occasionally to come together as one for all of us to be in the same room. I hope you will stay for lunch following the service. It is free and there's plenty of it. And so it'll be good a good time to be together uh, you may not have realized it. Some of you may have. We solved a great Baptist mystery this morning. Baptists are known for being back row people. We sit on the back row first and fill it in. I came in early and the front was filled. And I thought, what is wrong? Well, something is wrong. But if you put the padded chairs up front, <laughs> it fills in quickly in the front. And so we have solved a mystery today. I mean, we have a good friend of mine here. Dr. Matt Singleton is the pastor at First Baptist Kennedy, my home church, my parents' pastor, my grandmother's pastor, and even he and his family sat on the very back row. You know, good, good Baptist. Matt, we're glad you and your family, Marsha, are with us today. Let me pray for us. Well, I will say this. Um, we do have uh, so much to celebrate today. We're so thankful for Debbie and her ministry. There will be, among other desserts, a lot of pink cupcakes behind us today uh, to celebrate uh, Debbie uh, and her colorful personality and dress. And so, um, to sell, along with the pink flowers, it is, uh, we're celebrating our church's 74th anniversary. And I'll talk about that at the end of the service uh, that we're celebrating today. It is Independence Day weekend. And um, on July 4th at, Jacob, help me, two o'clock? Three o'clock, three o'clock, there will be a patriotic concert um, at Trinity. Uh, it's evidently going to be a packed affair. Me and the family will be out of town. I hate to miss it. And so if you are wanting to get your fill of, of patriotic music, some beautiful time of being together, uh, celebrating Independence Day, you're invited to Trinity at three o'clock uh, on July 4th. Let me pray for us as we enter into this sermon time today. Thank you for this special day. We thank you for your spirit's movement to bring this body of believers into existence 74 years ago. We're thankful for the continuous in this people. And God, we are thankful for the ways you will continue to move, the ways we know not yet, but we look forward to with excitement and expectation. Now in this hour, God, Speak to us as we have need with fresh stirrings of your spirit, fresh outpourings of your presence and your blessing in this time, in this space, to the people gathered here, to those who will listen throughout the week. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Friends, we're gonna be in Acts 10 and a little bitty bit of 11, but mostly Acts 10 today. If you'd like to follow along uh, in your Bibles, we'll be telling this story instead of reading it today. But let me say from the beginning, this is among the most dangerous incendiary passages of Scripture that can lead us down a lot of wild roads if we allow it that we're looking at today. So this is one of those passages 
that kind of needs a warning before we hand, you know, handle with care. May cause burns. Hot to handle, use with caution. Because in this passage, the Holy Spirit changes the rules of what following Jesus looks like. What do we do when Jesus changes the rules on us and calls us to follow into new territory that heretofore was forbidden? How do we handle that? What do we do with that? Have you ever felt like the rules, the boundaries, the, the way of following Jesus were changed on you by none other than Jesus himself, by the Holy Spirit? I mean, you're following Jesus. Maybe you're young, maybe you're old. Maybe you're new to faith. Maybe you've been doing it for some time. You have some understanding about following him, uh, the way to believe, the, the way to act, the way to have your being in the world as a Christ follower. You, you've interpreted scripture a certain way and suddenly something happens. Maybe internal to you, maybe external to you, maybe something big, maybe something small. And everything you've known or much of what you've known up to that point changes and you're called to follow in a new direction, in a new way. The rules have been changed. The Holy Spirit has a way in each and every generation, sometimes multiple times of generation, of leading the church to reach its neighbors in a new way that require change. That change in practice reveal to us new areas of the lordship of Christ in our life, new areas and ways in which we're called to follow. I'll pick on Baptists a bit because that's who I are. <laughs> One of you, whose name will remain hidden, was sharing a wonderful story with me that I think back in the 60s, they visited Trinity and wanted, felt led by the Spirit of God to join the church, her and her husband, that week. But they did it because she didn't wear a hat that day and didn't feel like you could join the church unless you were dressed to the nines and had your hat on. We've got a couple lovely hats today, but none of you have joined the church with a hat. I'm really a little bit hurt by that. Some things change. Not many suits today, not many hats. Some things change. You know, if you, if you 74 years ago, Baptists as a whole were likely known for what we didn't do. We didn't dance. We didn't drink. We didn't cuss, smoke, or chew, or date the girls who do. Have you heard that phrase? <laughs> many wouldn't go to movies. Many wouldn't listen to rock and roll and Elvis and the Beatles and all, you know, because it was... All of those things were gateways to a sinful path to any number of things. Now, I won't ask for hands, but many of us enjoy these things today, right? In moderation, we don't view them. I think we could all agree. None of these things are sinful in and of themselves or, or terribly dangerous. They can be, right? They can all be exploited in any number of things, but many of us enjoy these freedoms. I don't dance and you don't want me to dance. That's not, though, a spiritual thing. It's an ability thing. You know, while the essentials of following Jesus are eternal, many aspects of following him 
are conditional over time and geography. This is the glory of the gospel that is different than any other system of belief in the world. You can take Jesus and the center of the gospel and take it in any culture, in any time, and it is the same. It has the same saving power, but the culture around it is different. Look at nativity scenes. Do some Googling this afternoon of nativity scenes around the world. African Nativity scenes don't look like ours in the West. Mexican, South American, Asian, those throughout history, that's just one example of how the vitality of the Christian faith is that Jesus remains the same, but the cultural conditions, the timely conditions, the geographical ways in which we serve and follow and seek to reach our neighbors are are, are flexible and change over the time. The Spirit does new works in each and every generation. We come to Acts 10 and we find the third full chapter where the Holy Spirit is changing the rules on the apostles and the early church. The story in Acts 10 unfolds as a seven-act drama, and it is a drama. It is detailed, and it's amazing. Act 1, we're introduced to Cornelius, who just seems like a heck of a guy. I mean, he just seems like a delightful guy. He's Roman, yes, but, but he fears God. He, he, he is not Jewish, but he is worshiping in his own way the Jewish God, Yahweh. And, and he's devout, and he prays, and he's generous. He gives sacrificially. He's a praying man. But all of that doesn't balance the fact that he's a part, he makes his living as part of the occupying enemy who's occupying this land unfairly. But one day he was praying at the ninth hour, which is the time in the temple when they would have made the evening afternoon sacrifice. It was a a common time of prayer. And without seeking it, this is so interesting, without seeking it, God comes to Cornelius in a vision, an incredibly specific vision with detailed instructions Send men to Joppa, 35 miles south from Caesarea. Look for a man named Simon, goes by the new name of Peter. I'll tell you more about that later. He's living with another man named Simon. He's a tanner. You'll know it by the smell, and it's by the sea. An incredibly specific vision. And it's fascinating that Cornelius wasn't seeking Jesus. Cornelius wasn't praying in obedience to the Holy Spirit. For all we know, he has no idea who Peter is. There's no indication in this text that he understands this is a work of Jesus from the beginning, that he knows something about Peter's ministry. It really seems to me like he's ignorant of this. God invades Peter's or Cornelius's life and changes it. And it's not till the later acts when Cornelius has really any idea what God is up to in this multiple acts before he knows who Peter is or what Peter Peter will say, multiple acts in before he hears the word, the name Jesus. Yet, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are at work in him the whole time. Act two, Peter is in Joppa, 35 miles south of Caesarea, praying roughly 21 hours after 
Cornelius had been praying. In the sixth hour of the next day, Cornelius' men are on the way. God is orchestrating this simultaneously to happen in perfect sequence. Peter became hungry while he was praying. He falls into a trance of some sort. And what do you dream about when you're hungry? Food. What do you dream about when you're not hungry sometimes? Food. But he sees a vision of the heavens opening up and something like a sheet held by the four corners descending down from heaven with all manner of animals that would have, reptiles, birds, that would have been considered, the commonality, they would have been considered unclean by Levitical law. By, by the law of what Jewish people could and could not eat, every one of these was in the could not category. And there was likely some good stuff on there, lobsters, and chicken, and pigs, any number of things that were tasty. All things the Old Testament law deemed unclean that a good follower of God would never have touched. And the vision, a voice came from the vision says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, being a good follower of God, says, by no means, I know temptation when I see it. I'm hungry. My mind is going places. This is obviously temptation to get me to stray the path. By no means will I do this. And the voice from the dream, from the trance, talks back, says, what God has made clean, do not call common. I'm changing the rules. And three times this very specific vision repeats itself to Peter and he snaps out of his trance and, and, and the voice comes to him, the vision comes to him and said, there's men coming for you. Essentially, do not be afraid. Go with them without delay and do whatever they ask. Go with them do out without delay. Act three, the messengers arrive. Peter is left perplexed by this vision. What a great word, perplexed. While he sits in his confusion, a knock comes downstairs. The spirit tells Peter, as I said, to get up, go with these visitors without hesitation. Sometimes, maybe most of the time, we follow as the spirit leads us, not knowing the end of the journey or the destination not having a full explanation of the Spirit's reasoning and the background of how all of this connects together. We're simply called and we're called to follow. Trusting the Spirit who has called us will provide what we need along the way. Baffled, Peter follows these men to Caesarea. Perhaps, maybe, a bit like Mary after her visit, perplexed but willing to go anyway, <laughs> So be it. Act four. Peter and Cornelius meet. Now, we've been in Acts a lot for the past five or six weeks or four or five weeks, and we kind of get a pattern at this point. When Peter shows up, Peter likes to talk. And so when Peter shows up, Peter gives a sermon. If we're reading into the pattern of this is when the apostle comes to the Gentile, it's obvious the Gentile needs to be converted or is going to be converted. And so it's obvious Peter's about to give a big sermon. But that's not what we get quite yet. Cornelius gathered his family and friends in expectation of this event, but both Peter and Cornelius make speeches. Peter says, you know, you guys know all of this is out of bounds for me. 
You know that, that I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to eat with you. Everything I've known about following God said this is wrong, and yet I had this vision, I had this dream, and so I'm here. Why am I here? And Cornelius, in response, repeats his vision. This is the vision I received. And maybe in his own way, he's saying, I don't know why you were here, but this is what God has told me, and this is what's going on. And we have this in this passage a double conversion. The, the Roman centurion is converted in a minute to the way of Jesus. The apostle is converted to a new, fuller way of understanding the implications of the gospel. Both men are changed in this encounter. Cornelius' vision will result in Peter's conversion to this broader gospel than he thought possible. Act 5, Peter does preach. Peter's going to preach. And Peter begins to deliver a sermon with the astounding phrase, I know God shows no partiality. It's a great opening phrase. I know God shows no partiality. We would agree with that statement, but the funny thing is the whole Old Testament basically goes against this. <laughs> Much of the Old Testament is about the exact opposite, that God shows extreme partiality. That in order to bless the whole world, God chooses one people, this one small, pretty insignificant people, and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to choose you from everybody else, and through you, the, blessed, the nations will be blessed, but I'm going to choose you. This is a radical change of the plan. This is a radical uh, shift in the way God is reaching humanity. And Peter is understanding it, learning it on the fly. I now know that plan has shifted. God shows no partiality. Everyone can get in on this thing Jesus is doing in the world. And so uh, Peter, God's changing the rules. Peter is willing to follow in Acts 5. We're now unable to know, you and I, who is in and who is out. We can't determine by look. We can't determine by gender. We can't determine by age. We can't determine by ethnicity. We can't determine by anything other than what the Holy Spirit is doing. God alone is the arbiter of who is in and who is out. So we better start treating everybody the same because we never know. Peter shared about Jesus with them. He gave them the gospel message, Acts 6, Acts 6. The Spirit descends. Maybe Peter's sermon was going a little long. Some of you resemble that. Every so often, the Spirit does speak during a sermon, believe it or not. The Spirit interrupts Peter. What are our key things in Acts every week? The Spirit comes at Pentecost and is powerful beyond expectation and on the move. The Spirit comes at Pentecost and is immediately beyond our control and working in surprising ways. Poor Peter is pouring his heart up there. He's giving him the best gospel he knows now how. He's learning on the fly. His mind and his soul and his heart are expanding. And the Spirit comes down and said, okay, Peter, that's great. You're learning. You're doing good. I'm going to go ahead. The Spirit, without confession, without repentance, without a doctrinal test, without a new member class or anything. The Spirit descends on the whole group at once 
everyone gathered among Cornelius and his household. And they, what happens is exactly what happens at Pentecost. They begin, it's Pentecost all over again without the fire. They, they begin speaking in tongues and, and the followers of Peter that are there, they recognize this is a genuine spirit movement just like happened before. And Peter says, can anyone give me a good reason not to baptize them. And you do wonder if he's almost looking for an excuse, like, ah, I'm learning very quickly here, but help me out, check my facts. Is there a good reason? Do we have a passage to go to? Because I'm about to baptize a Roman centurion. And mm, Jerusalem's not going to like it. (laughs) No, there's no reason. He baptized Cornelius and his entire household. Very quickly, Acts 7, Jerusalem's not happy. They hear the stories and like, Peter, what in the world are you thinking? Those of us in leadership are often the last to catch on to change. Those of us that have been here the longest and have the most invested are often the most terrified of the new things the Spirit is doing. Myself include them. But this is a good part of the story. We need those that hold on to tradition to help, help check, help verify, help discern the new things going on. We need the history of God's movement to work alongside the new areas of God's movement. Peter tells the story, and instead of digging their heels in, they listen, and their hearts are changed, and they glorify God, and they celebrate this new movement. Gentiles are in. This is a dangerous story incendiary. But you know, the Holy Spirit orchestrates in intricate detail this rich story that changes the rules of following God that have been set for centuries. It's dangerous because it's been abused, this story, much through the years, through the centuries. You know, any new things going on any, any kind of trends in ministry, whims of a preacher or a teacher, uh, we can go through a long list. They go to this passage and say, see, new things can happen, and I'm baptizing this new thing as the new thing the Spirit is doing. And, and sometimes that may be the case. Oftentimes, it's just the opinion of one person that they want to baptize, and the story is suspect. It's flippant. You know, I think certainly not what I'm here to do today. I don't think we are a church that chases whims of culture. I also don't think we're a church that entrenches and fights wars against culture either. Our task is to look deeply into the text and to discern together what God has to teach us today. I think the question of the text is this. How do we know when God changes the rules? I mean, how do we discern between our own thoughts, our own whims, our own opinions, and a true work of the Holy Spirit? How do we discern when to stick faithfully to tradition and say, no, the Spirit is doing the same thing the Spirit has been doing, and we need to continue, and when God is doing something new? And it's difficult because without getting hands, I can see you. Some of you are early adopters and you're like, yes, new is always good. Change everything all the time. And this text excites you. 
Some of you are on the opposite end of that adoption spectrum, and you're going, no, change is bad. Don't change anything. It screws up what we have going. Yeah, we, and that's not theological, right? That's, not, that's just personality. We all adapt to these things differently. That's why that's a dangerous question. But I think from the passage, we might deduce a few points for how we know, begin to discern together what are whims, what are trends, what are fads, and what is truly something of the Spirit. First, the dream doesn't let go if it's a dream from God. And it's often repeated in you and repeated in others. I'll say this a few times here. God rarely does something in an individual. He may do something in your life, yes, but a new movement of the Spirit is among a community. If you're beating your head against the wall with something new you think is happening and no one else around sees you, I'm betting it's not something for that community, at least, new from the Spirit. The dream doesn't let go. Sometimes we have dreams and visions and ideas that are just that and nothing else. They're fleeting, and we wonder if they have meaning. We wake up or we think about it in prayer even, but they usually don't. But when God is doing something new, there is often regularly repetition and confirmation, both internal to us and externally with others. Two, the dream, one, the dream doesn't let go. Two, there are other witnesses. There are other participants. God does new works in communities among us together. The word is given to Cornelius and Peter, like synchronized in sequence to work together. They complemented. They fulfilled one another. They're wisely discerned by those who observed that day. The others that were around, they agreed with what was going on. They were affirmed by the church in Jerusalem. It's been affirmed by the church hereafter for all times that, yes, everyone is now in. There's going to be difficulty with it, which we'll discuss in a couple weeks. But these witnesses agreed. And third, the door keeps opening. Doors keep opening that affirm what the Spirit is doing. Every time the Spirit is tested on this, in regards to Gentiles, doors open to continue to reach them. The Spirit blesses the movement. The Spirit allows the apostles to overcome hurdles. The doors continue to open. So there's generally repetition. There's generally agreement among a community. And then there's generally opportunity to follow through doors that are open. These are some, some tests, some litmus tests we can give when we wonder, is the Spirit leading us to a new ministry? Is the Spirit leading us into a new movement? We have some of these tests together among us. And I would add a fourth, not specifically in the test, but it proves out. Time proves all. Sometimes new works of the Spirit take decades to know, is it a fad or is it something lasting that is changing the church for all time? And so we have to hold things very loosely with much grace, not pass judgment too quickly because time proves all. And time, of the province of, time is the province of God, not our role to bless or curse new movements unless they do harm. And my role as a preacher today is not to dictate where the Spirit is moving. Some of you undoubtedly wonder if I have agenda in this, and I'm leaning you to something that we'll talk about in three weeks. That's not this sermon. The sermon may be here at some point, I don't know, but not today. My hope is to cultivate 
and openness among us to the Spirit's work to lead us to reflect on the practice of faithfully following the risen Jesus and the on-the-move spirit in a changed and changing world, to cultivate us in us that discerning, listening spirit that when the spirit moves, when the spirit speaks, we as a community are ready to listen and follow. This church has done a masterful job over 74 years of listening to the Spirit's movement and often following in innovative ways. On the whole, Trinity Baptist Church has been ahead of the curve of the ways the Spirit is leading each generation to reach its community, to provide programming or buildings or ministries or any number of things ahead of the curve. They say this is how people might hear the gospel, might have entrance to the gospel today. In this time, whatever this time happens to be over 74 years, it's a continual task of God's people, a continual task to discern new implications of the gospel in every age, in every place, to explore new areas of the lordship of Christ as we age, as we change, as the world changes, as culture shifts, what does it look like to follow Jesus in this time, in this place, at my stage of life, today and in the years ahead? That is a continual task of discernment for us as families and individuals and as the church. We are not allowed to entrench and say, I will follow Jesus this far and no farther. We are never allowed to entrench and say, I will follow with Jesus in this way and no other. If the gospel is about anything, it's about changed life and transformed mind. We're changed when we come to know Jesus, but the change doesn't stop there or then. We are changed and ever-changing, transformed and ever-transforming. We're never done being converted. The, the, the turn that happens when we accept Jesus is a continual turn that causes us as we change, as we age, as the world changes, to continue turning toward Jesus, to continue adapting our lives to the way of Jesus, to continue discerning together how do we follow Jesus today. We never stop learning how to faithfully follow Jesus in a new place, in a new season of life, in a new culture, and on and on and on the list of new challenges goes. So friends, where do you see the Spirit of God moving in the world? Where do you hear the rustlings of the Spirit in your family, in your neighborhoods, in our city, across the world? Do you have the courage to join the Spirit there? My prayer as we enter at TBC our 75th year of ministry and mission, as you and I enter another week of following Jesus, that the Spirit stirs among us in ways both old and new, that the foundations of faith the parts of tradition that remain solid and firm, that they are affirmed among us in powerful and new ways, and that the Spirit will also show us how we might best be used to bless and reach our world in the name of Jesus 
in the new time. Let me pray for us. God, it is a frightening thing at times to lead, to follow into new territory. For you to change the game around us as it feels like happens so often and to know what of our tradition and our past do we cling to as the way and when do we shift? What is the new thing you are doing and what are just our opinions and the fads of the day? We discern by clinging to you and your cross. Help us to cling closely to you, so closely that we will hear the whisper of your spirit when you speak. enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.